Good morning. My name is Sean. If I don't know you, uh, I'm the lead pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Uh, I'll be the, the guy normally you see up here. Um, we are, as John said, um, elder-led, and, and uh, I'm just one of the, the pastors. I'm the teaching pastor. Uh, and honestly, I'd love to get to know you. If, if I uh, don't know you, I'll be out in the lobby afterwards, um, and, and we can talk uh, that way. So here, here's the deal. I know normally I'm pretty excited, but I'm like Red Bull excited uh, this morning. Um, I, and so I'm going to, I'm going to really try to keep it together because if, if you didn't notice there as, uh, Christina came up, we're not in Mark. Um, if, if you don't know, we've been going through the book of Mark week by week. Last week we took a break, uh, cause we, uh, had a conversation on homosexuality and, and what the Christian response is and, and how we, we kind of navigate some of that. Uh, and then today, uh, we're actually kind of devoting everything to, um, what, Christianity is at the core when we talk about the gospel and, and what this tank, which is just a horse trough, by the way, that we just put wood around, right? So um, what is this about? What is Christianity about? How do we get about um, uh, doing some of this? Now, um, if you already haven't opened your Bible, you can uh, open there to Ephesians 2. There's some Bibles on the side as you walked in. You can have that one. It's yours. Feel free to keep it. Um, let me explain where we're going uh, before we uh, talk about Ephesians 2 and, and, and really kind of prep our heart um, because what we have to do this morning and in the limited time that, that, that I have with you is really get um, at some introspective things deep, 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 deep within our heart, okay? Now, this is problematic because when we try to do this, um, James tells us that we can deceive our own heart, right? Like, like we, can, we can kind of trick ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart of man is naturally wicked. It, it, it's hard to, to understand sometimes where it's going and why we're doing some of the things that we're doing. I, I even put in my notes that in Psalm uh, 19, 2, uh, David in a psalm asks this question, who can discern his errors, Right, So there's this question on the table that, um, that I'd really love even for us to ask as we go into our passage in Ephesians, really going, man, if I do have a problem or I did have a problem, did I see that? Like, how can I see that problem? If my heart can deceive me, if, if I can be tricked, if it's hard to navigate my own mind at times, um, how can I get to the truth? How can I get it to the ethos, the introspection we're really trying to do? I, I even have a verse. Um, we're in Ephesians 2, but in Ephesians 4, I think I even have it as a, a text. I want to read some because I think it's helpful. Ephesians 4, 17 and 18 says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the, love, the, the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now immediately you can look at, and, and we have some colors and lines or whatever, but here's, here's what I'm trying to get at here that, that you can really understand what, what I believe Paul is trying to say. Um, for you to, to, to come after God, for you to follow God, there is this ignorance because of the ignorance that is within them. So people, so if you can kind of understand uh, contextually now, um, the Gentiles, think of people who don't know Jesus right now. Now that's not fair. Gentiles are anyone who's not Jewish. But just in our context, people who don't know Jesus, they are, because of the ignorance in their mind, they're darkened in their understanding. So, so maybe you knew that. Maybe you were in that place at one point. And so maybe immediately we can put one step forward and go, well, then it's just a matter of me telling them. Maybe it's just a matter of you talking to them. Because the, the issue seems to be ignorance. Like, like they don't know. If, if they knew, that, then they would follow. But we know that's not the case, right? Like if you've ever tried to talk to someone about Jesus, you know that you can tell them all the same things that you have heard and, and they still don't receive it. Because the issue isn't ignorance. Ignorance is a fruit of the issue. The issue is due to the hardness of their heart. 
that so what we want to do this morning, before we get out our passage, I need you to contemplate and be deep in thought and understanding and asking the question, this deep um, problem that I have is not intellectual, it's not surface level, it's deep within my heart. Now, how can I address that? How can I combat my heart in telling me to do some of the things that it's doing? And so that is what we're going to do. Now, here's the deal. Um, we're in Ephesians 2, but I want you to have the context because I think it's important, and this will come into play later. In Ephesians 1, at the end of Ephesians 1, um, there's this ridiculous um, doxology by Paul speaking about Jesus and, and how God has lavished um, everything into him. And I'll start in verse 19. It's kind of in the middle of the longest sentence in history. All of 15 and uh, t- through 21 is one sentence. Um, yeah, so if you have a Bible, you can see how long that is. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ? Okay, so we're talking about Christ now. This is what God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills the all in all. So, so here, here is um, the context and what we're, we're getting at here. The context seems to be immediately from how big God is, how big Jesus is, how much authority Jesus is, uh, has, uh, how awesome he is, everything that, that, that is anything is under his feet, and then we get to where, where we are, which will be important um, in a minute. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, talking about us being introspective, trying to get at the hardness of our heart. This is um, where, where we are, as, as Paul would define us, or the Holy Spirit would define us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, I just, just to be fair, the you also is technically in all of Ephesians speaking to the Gentiles, okay? It's speaking to, to people who, who were not um, of the people of God. And so now we contextually can go, okay, well, here's, we were the same, right? So, and you were dead in the trespasses of your sin, trespasses and sins, uh, following, the, or I'm sorry, uh, let's start over. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins uh, in which you once walked following the course of this world. Now, if you haven't been here before, I'm going to literally do a Bible study right now, okay? Uh, we're just going to read a line. I'm going to explain it. We're going to read a line. I'm going to explain it. And the first thing that it described maybe where you were, okay? Before you were Christian, you were maybe where you were, or maybe for some of you in this room right now where you are, the first thing that it describes you where you were or maybe where you are now is dead. Is dead. I I need you literally to use your imagination and picture a corpse laying in a morgue, lifeless. Like I did my grandpa's funeral about a month and a half ago, and it would have been weird as I'm talking to my family for my grandpa to open up the thing, the casket, and peek out, right? Everyone would be like, okay. Uh, you, wouldn't, you would definitely be freaking out. Or I'd be like, what's up? Okay. Um, no. Um, th- that would be weird, right? Like, like y- a de- I need you to picture this lifeless corpse. And this is the description that is given to us. You were dead. Uh, on Friday, um, the Myers, we try to, we try to have a, a movie night, some, some night throughout the week. And we watch The Princess Bride. Classic. Um, right? You killed my father. No. Um, so 
we, I, I, you know, I'm reading, I totally forgot about this scene, but it was so crazy how watching that movie totally applied to, to this because there's this great scene where um, Billy Crystal plays this guy named uh, Miracle Max. And if you've never seen it before, he's this kind of miracle worker. And the main character, um, kind of the, the Prince Charming character, is dead, right? Well, so you think. And so he's, he's dead and he's laid before Billy Crystal, who's Miracle Max. And there's this conversation. I had to pull it up because I want you to hear what he says. And I think it's, I think it's great. This is, this is what's said. Um, uh, uh, Anigo Montoya is the one who brings this prince, uh, um, uh, charming character there. Uh, he brings him there, and uh, Miracle Max asks why he wants him to bring him back to life. And he says, probably, he probably owes you money, huh? I'll ask him. Anigo Montoya says, he's dead. He can't talk. Miracle Max goes, whoa, ho, ho. Only as Billy Crystal could, right? Whoa, ho, ho. Look who knows so much. He's in this accent. Um, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. With all dead, well, with all dead, there's only usually one thing you can do. And Eagle Montoya, what's that? He says, go through his clothes and look for loose change, right? <laughs> okay. So here, here is, here's the declaration for, for Miracle Max. He, he declares in Ego Montoya, uh, that, that, no, 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 hear me. He, he's not dead. He's not fully dead. He's, he's mostly dead. He's mostly dead. Now we hear this. And the reason it's funny is because that's ridiculous. No one is mostly dead. He's either dead or he's not dead. Right? And so in this, this, this context, I need you to understand we were dead. We were not mostly dead. Okay. Now, in being dead, what can a dead person do? Nothing. A dead person can't do anything. A dead person is dead. They're, they're dead. Okay? Now, uh, if I dead, you're dead, okay? Now, with that, we're going to continue on in, in verse 1, Ephesians uh, chapter 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, once you, in, what, in which you once walked following the course of this world. Now, this is weird, right? Because immediately he says, you are dead in trespasses and sins, and once you which walked, good Lord, um, you, you were walking, right? You, you were walking, you were following the course of this world. So immediately, right, we know in him referring back to, to how you were, maybe how you are now, you're, you're dead. But it's obviously not this physical death, right? Because the Gentiles, or you before you knew Jesus, weren't literally dead, and then he rose physically from that. Like, no, what's being talked about, that you're walking still, we have, oh, dang, talking about death and that happens? Um, um, shake it off. Um, what, what we know, what we know about this is that, that the spiritual death is, is appropriately what he is talking about because you're, you're walking and we have this idea. I mean, we have this, we make movies about it. We, and I know it sounds crazy, but it sounds a lot like a zombie. Am I right? Like this is weird. There seems to be this lifeless death at your core, uh, a dead in your trespasses, but you're walking around. This is describing who you were before Jesus. This is maybe describing who you are now before you knew Jesus. This is um, at the core what he's saying. You, you were dead, a, a, a lifeless, spiritually dead. Though you are walking around, though you are going, you are dead. And then he makes this, this comment. You're following the course of the world. I mean, some of us have to know and have to remember before Jesus what that was like. The word uh, course of this age, um, uh, course of this world has uh, this uh, aos. It's, it's uh, like the best way I can describe it is, is um, age. It means like you are following the, what, what the world is doing, the time, the, 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 the culture, what it is doing. Literally what he's saying is though you were dead in your trespasses and sin, you were still walking around kind of I don't know anywhere to say it. I'm not trying to be insulting here, but being a follower. You were kind of believing whatever you were fed. You were doing whatever you weren't extremely thoughtful about what you believed. You were, you were dead inside, 
though you were physically walking around. But, but it gets worse. It gets worse than that. He, he goes on to say this, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. What I love about the New Testament is there is no gray area in following Jesus. The category we've created in the Western culture that I can be a Christian but not practice is not possible. That's not a possible category. To be able to say you are this this, uh, entity, this religion, and not practice is not possible. Literally in Matthew 12, 33, you're either for him or you are against him. There is no making him your savior but not Lord stuff. There is either you're following or you are not following. And though it seems um, uh, rough and though it may seem like I'm just coming at it really aggressively, I I think that's what the text is doing. In this moment, this is literally what he's telling you. You are a, a alive corpse, though you're dead spiritually inside, following the course of this world, and you're following the prince of the power of the air. And you know who, who he's in charge of on the prince of the power of the air? The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Literally, and, and, and you're going to need to, whether, I'm not going to try to cover up for the Bible. You're literally before Jesus following Satan. The, the, there is no like, well, no, I wasn't following Satan. I mean, I may not be on point with my relationship with Jesus, but I'm not following. No, no, that's not what he's saying right here. There is no kind of haphazard, I'm, I'm in, but I'm out type of stuff. You weren't, and, and this is what's crazy, like a Pied Piper, you were just kind of following the rhythm in which he set. Like Satan is kind of going, and lifelessly, you're kind of marching towards that beat, going after him, not even knowing it, right? You're not even, like, understanding what you're doing, and, and he is the one who, who runs the sons of disobedience. Now, this is a, a big deal, because... He continues uh, uh, to go on, and I'll read it again. And you were dead in the trespass of your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once, all of us, there's no exception, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Um, What we know in describing what that life was like before you were a Christian, or maybe right now is, there's kind of two variables about this. And the two variables are you lived in the passion of your flesh and the desires of the body and the mind. Now, there's no debating this. Like, our culture makes that an easy truth. Because if you ask anybody, the goal of life is to be happy. Like, we don't ha- I don't have to spend a lot of time arguing from that because you know. Well, why should we tell them not what to do? Shouldn't everyone, doesn't everyone have the right to be happy? I mean, happiness at, at, at your core is, um, if it feels good for you, if it's right for you, then you should be allowed to do it. As long as you don't somehow, and of course we make a rule, as long as you don't infringe on anyone else's rights, which ironically enough, you're making a rule. Where does that rule come from? You're not allowed to make rules if, because, okay, so, so if I want to punch somebody, you can't tell me I don't want to punch, like immediately infringes on what I want to do, which has nothing to do with anything. My point is this, that, that you are, that, that, that you at your core maybe were or continuing now to kind of do what you want to do. You are walking out what, what, what gives you most pleasure, what you long for. And maybe it's hidden, right? Maybe um, out of the fear of men, you, you try to be a good person. Like, no, no, I, I do a lot of good things, right? And I, I wouldn't even argue. There's a lot of people who aren't Christian, um, even today, who will do a lot of good things. 
And, and I, I would argue um, the intentions deep within their hearts, um, according to this, before Jesus, if I would just hide behind the text, um, is lived out the passions of our flesh. That doesn't just mean going out and having sex with as many people as possible or going on drug binges. No, no, no. This can be hidden in you trying to be a good person as well. Trying to live up to the quote of the fear of man, however this plays out. Now, this, um, this is tough. Like, these first three verses are rough. Like, if we're trying to, to be a church to bring your friends to, if you're new here, that's tough to hear. I literally just said you were dead, right? Um, you were following Satan. I think I called you a zombie, um, okay? And you, you did whatever you wanted to do. And, and I think maybe um, a lot of that you might initially point against but, 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 or push against. But here's, here's what I think uh, what we're trying to get out with this text. And I think ultimately what needs to be seen is... Um, for us to understand that depravity, for us to understand that, that according to this, and I quote, we were by nature children of wrath, that, that um, in the brokenness of, of Genesis 3, that all things were good, but when Genesis 3 broke, we were, we were uh, uh, strained, we were, we were broken away, that, that now here we are dead and lifeless, we're going, following uh, uh, the prince of the power there, we're following Satan mindlessly, doing what he asks us to do, doing what we feel is right, as we continue to walk this way, you need to understand at the core um, in who you are, you cannot just wake yourself up and follow. Living in the flesh, you cannot just go, yeah, you know what? That, that's whack. I'm following God. Uh, let, me, let me prove it to you. Um, Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are, of the, are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, here's the question I have to ask. If verses 1 through 3 are true, how do we get out of this thing? Like, like if, if we're dead, if a dead man can't do anything, how does he become alive? How are you sitting here right now? How is there a past tense, we're dead, but now you're alive? How does this come about? Um, in uh, C.S. Lewis's book, uh, Mere Christianity, I, I think he has a, a helpful quote. Uh, I want to read it to you because... Um, I, I think it can speak into this conversation. The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are try all trying to do instead. For what we are trying to do is to remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet, at the same time, be good. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you could, warned us you could not do. If I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. So our introspection in this moment takes a step back and go, man, our heart is hardened, and this is why we're, we're doing this, but, but how can I, can I bring life back into my heart? What, what can I do? Because if I just try to change my actions, that's surface level. His point is if I have grass and I want to grow wheat, grass is going to continue to grow, and I can mow the grass, but the grass is going to go up. The only way for me to get at that grass is to plow that grass up. And you saw plow. English people always spell things weird. Um, uh, plow that grass up as he plows that grass up and then plant something else to go deeper than just action, to go deeper than just tangible, here it is, to go deeper, to, to do something more than that. 
Now, if we remember our context, this is where I hope um, uh, the Holy Spirit begins to churn uh, within you because our context was one of uh, Jesus is big. He has all authority. He has all power. He is awesome. He is ruler over all things. This is his place. Whether you believe it or not, this is his place. Whether you submit to it or not, this is his place. Whether you live like it or not, that is his place. That is it. Unchanging, immutable truth. There is where he stands. He is over all things. And then there's these two words in verse 1. And you. And you. In response to all of his authority, in response to all of his power, you are not that. You, me, before Jesus Christ, or even now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, are, are sitting there and you are dead. You are actually going the opposite direction of where he sits in all of his glory. You are following the prince of the power of the earth. You are following his, his enemy, if we, can, if we can make this a movie. You, you are following the protagonist. You, you are following, and, and, and here's what's crazy. The first two words start there, and you. And, and then there it is, right? But, but verse 4 kind of is a game changer, isn't it? Because it's two more words that um, help us immensely in this conversation. And you, in verse 1, were dead in your trespasses. You followed the course of this world. You followed Satan. The, the, the uh, spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. You lived according to your passions, the desires of your body. You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. But God. Like here you are, you're following him. And though he's in all the authority, and though, though you have, have shunned him and don't want anything to him, he puts his hand on his shoulder and says, hey, hey son, hey dot, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Look where you're going. Sweetie, look where you're going right now. Look where he's taking you. Everything he's promising you is a lie. Everything he's telling you is a lie. And he wakes you up and there's this this elation within your spirit because you recognize, though you responded in this way, but God, not not you picking yourself up by your bootstraps, not you white-knuckling yourself through, but God. God responds to your response and that you followed this direction, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You were dead in your trespasses. So who made you alive? Who made you alive? God made you alive. Though you were dead, who made you alive? God made you alive. You're following this and he's telling, wake up and suddenly you look around and go, what have I been doing? I've been blinded by the God of this world this whole time. How have I been following this? And, and the emptiness suddenly, and some of you, man, hear me. If you don't know Jesus, um, and, and maybe you've been playing the game, you feel the intense nature of this. Like your soul feels hollow inside. Like some of you who, who are a Christian, look back on that. Like I'm telling you, um, whether you want to believe this or not, I'm telling you personal experience for whatever it's worth. I'm in high school, and I know I can see my life. And I'm looking and I feel like a zombie. Like I wouldn't use that language, but there's this deadness within me. 
There's this deadness, with the, and I'm sitting there in a church service I don't need to be going to, laughing the whole time in the back, and suddenly I find myself with this 60-year-old woman, long gray hair, just praying with me. And it wasn't me with intellectual integrity. It wasn't me with just grit and power waking myself up. Suddenly, I'm walking home, and I honestly feel like I'm floating. Like, I feel like that everything that was missing within me, the eternity that, that hasn't been filled, is suddenly um, slowly being filled. And I feel this completeness in who he is and what he has done. Because God made me alive. He did this. This is, this is beautiful because this isn't your response to your response. This is his response to your response. And his response is full of mercy and full of love. Maybe you don't know a lot of Christian language, but this is where we get the term born again. This is why you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. That, that your old nature, you could not submit to God. You could not please God, but God, he, he raises you from the dead. You were dead. He raised you again and you are born again. Um, and, and then he goes on. I'm running out of time. This is what he says. As he made you alive in Christ, by grace, you have been saved. And some of your Bibles might even just have uh, two little lines on each side because it's this huge declaration. Now, what I need to do is explain to you how beautiful this transaction is because a lot of us don't understand the interchangeableness of uh, mercy and grace, and there's actually not as much as we like to think there is. So let me explain it to you like this, as complicated as I possibly can. Um, Mercy is um, you not getting what you deserve, okay, Um, in uh, in the negative, okay? I'll explain that. Grace is you getting what you don't deserve in the positive. So um, if you can imagine, uh, let's go old movie, um, let's, uh, some, some, uh, a genre like Princess Bride, where there's this uh, man, maybe he's going around in all the kingdom and he's killing a bunch of people, okay? The king finally hunts this man down. He has a sword to his neck. He looks at him, looks at him a sword, and he could kill him in this moment, but he chooses not to. That is him exerting mercy. He deserves death. Okay, in, in, in this story, he deserves death. By all intents and purposes, he has cho- cho- he's chosen to kill all these people. He deserves death. The king chooses not to kill him. That is mercy. Now, grace would be standing him up on his feet and not just saying you're forgiven, receiving this mercy, but then taking the crown off of his head and making him king. Does that make sense? So mercy, he is not getting what he deserves in the negative, but grace is getting what he doesn't deserve in the positive. The the term grace is unmerited favor. You are getting something. This is what theologians have called the double imputation. It's the idea, I know, fancy theological jargon that... I don't know why we come up with these silly words, but, but the idea being that Jesus dies on the cross and he dies on the cross because you input, you take all of your sins and you give them to Jesus. This is how you, you are made alive, that Jesus in this moment takes your sins, that first interaction, that first exchange, he takes your sins and as he takes your sins, he's lived a perfect life. Now, if you're religious in here and you say, well, good things should happen to those who are good, Jesus immediately blows that up, doesn't he? He was a perfect, good in every single way, and he gets death. The reason he gets death is because of your sins. But what do you do with all of his righteousness? What do you do with all of his works? Well, he inputs, he exchanges all of your sins and gives you all of his righteousness. The double imputation. That you take his sins, and you, or, or he takes your sins, and you take his righteousness. Because if he just took your sins, then you'd have to get it right from that moment on, wouldn't you? But that's not how God sees you. The reason you are made alive now is because he looks at you and sees the righteousness of Jesus. This is why he loves you as much as Jesus. This is why you are adopted into the family of God because of what Jesus has done. So we go on. 
You've been saved by grace. And he continues on with this mantra. And raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, the kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Can I just real stop eternally how big of a statement that is? He's literally going to point to you in all of eternity and go, "Do, do you see them? Hey, Gabriel, come here real quick. Check this out. Do you see all those people there? They were all dead. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? They were dead, and I made them alive. They they didn't deserve it. Uh, They they didn't earn it. They were dead, and I made them alive. Check it out. Check it out. Like this is, he is going to gloat over what he has done within you for all of eternity. This is beautiful. Like what he has done inside of you has eternal weight and implications for God's glory. So we continue on. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, so we continue with this mantra. Um, The argument here, um, and there's two different arguments here for for verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. One argument would say, this is not your own doing is referring to grace. The other argument would say, this is not your own doing, referring to faith. I'm not going to get into that right now, but I would argue that it's faith. Um, specifically not just because where we're coming from in him talking about grace, but now him moving towards not a result of works and juxtaposing works and grace, uh, works and faith. But my point is this, that, that's not, my, my point is this, you now are saved not based on what you have done. I, I need you to understand that. Not based on what you have done. Like Titus uh, uh, 3, verses 3 through 6 immediately um, echoes. Uh, let's see if I can show off and see if I have the Bible memorized. Um, okay, so, so you were uh, led astray. That was a joke. You know, I'm not going to show off. I'm not going to read that to you guys. Um, I just really forgot. Um, uh, no, I didn't. I just, okay. Um, uh, for, so then this is how, how it goes. So, so that we were, um, no, I have to tell you Titus too because it's really good. Um, okay, we're led astray. We're, we're following the passions of our flesh. That the, the, we are disobedient. We are sons of disobedience. We were passing our days in malice and envy. We were haters of one another and hating each other. That's how it describes us in Titus 3. Okay, that's that we were full of malice, envy, disobedient, hypocrisy, all these things. And then it says the same thing. But God, who is rich in mercy, saved us, not based on works done in righteousness, but by his mercy. That he saved you. He rescued you because of him. Like, so let's... Let's get, and I'm not, I'll try to get as, not as emotional. I don't want to try to stir anyone's emotions for any other reason. But listen how beautiful that is, man. Like, how much do we gush over movies of some dude constantly going after a woman over and over and over? I mean, we can, we can, we can crush ourselves with the notebook or the one with Channing Tatum where they forget everything or whatever it is. Uh, like, like we, we, can, we, can, we can look at our, 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 uh, this thing, and, and there's, the only reason it's beautiful because it stirs something within you, you not even knowing this, that there has been this eternal, eternal um, hide-and-go-seek game been going on, that, that in that moment, God has tagged your heart, and you, you've been ever seeking him, trying to find him, and, and, and you, you couldn't, but he wakes you up, right? You're, you're following the, 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 the one who runs, who rules, um, the prince of the power of the air, the sons of disobedience, and you were there, and he wakes you up, man. Like you shook your fists at him sometimes because you're angry. You did what you wanted in those moments over and over and over again to your own detriment. And he just like looks at you and says like, buddy, listen. Like this was never about how you treated me. I, I took care of that. If you would just listen to me for a second. I, I love you. Like I care deeply for you. I made you alive. I, I, I've done this because I love you immensely because I'm full of mercy. 
This is better than, than any Channing Tatum movie. This is better than, than the note. This is, this is God pursuing you for all of eternity. This is awesome. Now, he does this with purpose, right? Um, and that's where we get to verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, this word workmanship, um, we are his workmanship is, is the Greek word uh, uh, ponema. It, it's literally where we get the Greek word poem. Uh, literally what he's saying here is you are God's poem that, that he now is, is writing. Like he's, he's writing this poem and it's beautiful and he has had these works prepared for all of eternity. Like he has had happiness, that happiness, that joy you've been seeking, he's had it laid out before you for all of eternity, laying it out for, for you to follow, but you were going this way and now you are his workmanship, you are his poem and he, he takes you off of that direction and he puts you in this direction. He says, listen, all the joy, all the love and all the happiness is found in the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean there's not rockiness. That doesn't mean there's not pain. But for whatever reason, that, th- those painful moments bring joy to the Christian, right? This is the, this is the crazy exchange for Christianity. Um, I, I want to I read, uh, we don't have to read the whole thing, but in, in Luke chapter 15, and this is where I'll close, uh, there's this crazy encounter. Um, and I, if you grew up in the church, you're super familiar with it. It's called the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of a, of a, a younger brother. And it's really the story of a younger brother and older brother, but specifically focusing for our time right now, the younger brother, um, he goes off, he takes all that the father, um, has his inheritance. He takes all that he has, and he basically goes and wastes it. He is following the prince of the power of the air. He is living according to his own passions and pleasures. He is doing what is, he is by nature, a child of wrath. He is doing what he is doing. He is gone been led astray and he finds himself eating with pigs and he he wakes up right and he wakes up and when he wakes up he goes what am i doing and so he immediately um, goes back to his father and says listen i can at least work as a servant here me being a servant for you um i know i'm not a son anymore but at least i can be a servant for you and that's better than eating with pigs and so in response to that this is um what luke chapter 15 verse 24 it's a super one line, very easy. Listen to how it describes. For this son of mine, this is the father. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now the son wasn't obviously physically dead, right? Ephesians 2. That he was, he was dead. He, he couldn't see. But, but look, he's alive again. Let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate that. And, and that's why, why we have the, the tank up here, right? Because it's, um, it's not merit or it's not you getting it right. Uh, Lindsey Clegg, uh, um, an old business uh, man, tells a story of how he uh, was trying to buy a property uh, in this uh, downtown area. And the guy who's trying to sell him the property, it was a beat-up property. There's holes in the walls and a lot of the windows are broken. He keeps trying to put spin on all that's going on. And essentially what takes place is um, with all that him trying to explain, well, I'll fix this, I'll fix this. Lindsey Clegg eventually just looks at him and goes, don't worry about that. I'm not buying the building. I'm buying the land. I'll build a new building. I, when I heard, first heard that story, it was crazy because I thought immediately, this is not God coming to you and going, hey, buddy, listen, um, you can follow me as, as long as you get this right. You can follow me as long as you do this. That's not what's happening, man. Like, that building is gone. He's after your heart. And when he has your heart, when your heart is awakened to the goodness of his mercy and love, he can build whatever he wants on it. You are his poem in that moment. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond. And then, um, 
And I'm going to lead us in our time of response, and then I'll explain how some of this is going to work, um, and maybe uh, for some of you, um, what God is even doing in your heart in this moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We're grateful, God, that in your eternal work, you have shown us your great mercy. You have shown us your great love. You have exhibited insane amounts of grace to us, and we don't deserve it. Um, This is not something we've done. This is not by our own merit. This is not by our own uh, getting it right type of appeal. This is all you, all the time. It's always been about you. And Jesus, we love you immensely for that. Father, you're good. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's how this is going to work. I, just take like a couple minutes and the band is going to um, play. And, uh, and then I will come back up here and, and uh, um, I- explain. But here's what I'd love for you to focus on. Um, and I'm going to talk about baptism in a moment. But I think there are some of you who have been here um, at Redemption Peoria, have been a Christian for a long time. And that Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, described maybe who you were, but is still kind of how you are because you have never submitted fully to Jesus as Savior. More appropriately, you've never submitted to him as your Lord. And you know, if you've been here a long time, we're not like a, come up here, we're going to say this prayer with you. But very intentionally, I want to offer this invitation to you. That knowing, you knowing at the core of who you are, you were dead. And maybe you are dead. And as you take this two minutes, allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit can do. And stir within you and go, man, am I there right now? Like, do I need to give my life over to Jesus Christ? And then I'll tell you exactly how you can do that in using um, this baptismal. So if you can, just take a couple minutes, um, and Josh and the band will, will lead us in some of that time, and then I will come back and, and walk us through response and how all that is going to work.